Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 193 and this is a guest that I've wanted on from the very beginning of the podcast. I've listened to a lot of other podcasts with today's guests and always take absolutely loads away from every single episode. I've got to give a little heads up to the the two-parter that Rob Pacey recorded with Pody Roche and um, there's some absolute gold in that so go and check those podcasts out as well but yes today's guest is Pody he's the physical performance lead for Arsenal Women FC when we first were planning this podcast Pody was still on the boys side the boys academy and then since from us booking it in um, Pody's actually swapped roles so it gave us a really nice chance to um, talk about the, the transition to the women's game, the approach that he's going to be taking going into that role, women's football in general, um, and how exciting an opportunity it is to go and working with the women's team over at Arsenal, and also the change from academy to first team as well. So they were some topics that we discussed. We also discussed some key skills that he feels an academy coach should, should have, but then also um, a first-team coach and people working with first-team players. We talked about managing individuals' progression as well, and Pody was really um, great because he went into detail on the progression of Bakayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, and I know there's plenty of others that have gone through the system at Arsenal as well, but particularly those two players and his experiences with those two players as well. So we covered loads of great information in this episode now, I always ask for you to share the podcast, and a few people do, which I really appreciate, but please, please, please give this one a share because there's so much great information in it. Um, Pody's got so much knowledge and experience, and I know that people are going to take absolutely loads from it. So please, please give this one a share and also send it out to people that you think will benefit from the podcast as well. There might be coaches working in the women's game, maybe even the academy system. There's takeaways from absolutely everyone in this episode, so please give it a share. Just before we get into the podcast, I just want to give a heads up to our next networking event. Wednesday the 13th of July, we're at University Academy 92 in Manchester. We've got Shane Murphy presenting for us alongside Dr. Warren Bradley from Hytro. So we've got some two brilliant speakers. There's already tickets been snapped up by a number of practitioners, so that's great to see. But there are tickets still available. Um, you can go to footballfitfed.com. Click the shop and then you'll be able to grab yourself a ticket there and then come and join us on the 13th. And this week, as the podcast goes out, we are going to be announcing another event coming at the end of July as well. Now, just final call of business, which is important. A huge thank you to our sponsors, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best and Black Box has you covered. So be sure to go and give them a follow at Black Box Fitness over on social media. Then also Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. So go and check those guys out at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Now, I just mentioned that Dr. Warren Bradley is speaking for us in Manchester and his company, Hytro, are also one of our sponsors. So huge thank you to Hytro. 
If you tried Hydro, the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in players, while many may have used BFR for rehab, Hydro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used after competition or training. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts, delivering BFRs to groups, and player, uh, groups of players safely and more conveniently than ever before. So go and check them out, hytro.com, or you can email Warren, warren at hytro.com, to find out how Hytro can help accelerate the recovery of your athlete. So huge thank you to all of our sponsors. But let's get into the episode now, episode 193, with a physical performance lead for Arsenal women, Pordy Roche. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 193 and I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Pody Rush. Pody, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Um, pleasure being on. No problem, mate. It's absolutely, the pleasure is all mine. It's going to be great. We've got some cool stuff to cover. So um, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have followed your journey, have an idea on um, what you've been up to recently, but if there's anyone, if there's anyone that's been living in a rock, under a rock anywhere that doesn't, do you want to give a little bit of it, a background on yourself to start with? Yeah, um, I'm sure most people are probably tired of listening now to this, but um, yeah, so um, I'm from a small little town called Care, County Tipperary in Ireland. I'm currently employed at Arsenal. I will be here nine seasons on the fourth of July. Um, I came over initially to work with the under-9s, under-16s programme in the academy. And then after four seasons, moved to the under-18s and under-23s programme in the academy. Uh, under which time I worked with Des Ryan when he uh, took me on board and we formed a department together with Perry Short, uh, Noel Carroll, Ivan Mukandi, Sam Wilson, lots of top practitioners that are currently there now, Ian Jones, Dominic May. Um and uh, obviously, Des moved on last season, and the, the world-renowned Tony Strudwick, who's got a super, incredible experience from Man United and, and now at Wales, uh, took over as the head of the department. So before that, I was working with Irish rugby. I was based in um, the Munster Province, south of Ireland, uh, where I spent six seasons um, working with Irish rugby, four seasons full-time, two seasons as a, a, a casual worker in the summer, running the summer academy programmes. Um, and before that, I've worked in various universities and institutions around the south of Ireland. Um, majority of my experience in recent years has been in football and men's football. Um, excitingly, um, after nine seasons, I'm moving on to a new role. Um, the Arsenal women's team have approached me to come on board as the physical performance lead, where, which I will start uh, in the coming season, uh, the first week of July, which is exciting to see the growth and development of that game and how it's really leaning on, you know, experienced practitioners like myself now to, to add value to their program. And um, they already have a, a very, very good program there. And they're just asking for some experienced eyes and hands to come in and, uh, you know, drive it on even further. So that's a really exciting challenge um, after a natural probably end to my time in, in, the, in the academy. So, yeah, still in the same club, still um, developing players, which is what I do. And uh, that's my keen interest. And, uh, yeah, that's a little snapshot of my career to date. Perfect. Now, I wanted to um, tap into some of your experiences with Academy, but also looking forward to first team as well in the new role. And talking about some of the key skills that you think are required. So co initially, coaches that are going to be working with Academy players, and by Academy, obviously, we're covering quite a large age group. 
Um, what do you think are some of the standout skills of a practitioner to be thriving in that academy environment? Um, obviously, the, well, the big, big thing, first of all, is having a knowledge and understanding of development. I think that's, um, that's key to all. To the, that's the first prerequisite to working with academy players is you have to have a, a thorough and deep knowledge and understanding of how uh, a player, a boy or a girl physically develops, but also holistically develops mentally, physically, tactically, technically. All, looking at all the corners of development uh, on top of that then the big one for me is patience patience and um, longevity because you're not seeing the fruits of your labor immediately um, it takes time for you to see the work you put in your program It'll, you'll see improvements in a player every week uh, you might see them grow every month as they mature but actually to see the fruits of your labor from a performance standpoint, you might not see that for quite a while when a player you know, reaches maturation. At the end of their maturation, you, you've got through all the, the awkwardness of growing and all the, the, all, the, all the things that come with that growth. And you, you then see them become the athlete that, that you thought they would become at the end of a long period of time. So, yeah, longevity and patience is a big one. That's a big skill set to have that, you know, you don't... Um, it's not the top end of the game where you have to win on a Saturday. Yes, winning is part of, of development, but you're looking at the longer holistic approach. And to have the ability to zoom out and, and be patient is hugely important for me. And a commitment, a commitment to your program. Um, a lot of people see academy as a stepping stone to a first team job or, or um, you know, to a different kind of role as a head of a department or something like, like I have had, been looking at. But um a lot of people don't spend much time in the academy. Um, I was only talking to Perry Stewart, my colleague in Arsenal, last week about this, and we could probably only name a handful of people who've spent more than five, six, seven years in an academy structure. Um, all my experience previous to this was in the Munster Rugby Academy and the Irish National Academy. Yes, I've tasted um, a season with the men's first team at Munster and the men's first team um, at Irish Rugby, but it was really the development end of things that really excited me. So... That's, that's where you have to be. Longevity and patience is the big one, but a commitment to the program that you might not see results quickly. Uh, you might have to regress your program quite a lot because as these boys and girls develop, their body changes rapidly sometimes and movements that were lovely and clean two months ago might have changed rapidly when they've come back from a period of time off and they've grown. So it's having the ability to also to not just plan and progress, but I always talk about this as regression. Like, can you regress your exercises, your program to meet the demands of their new growing body? So um, they're the big skills for me. I've heard you speak about before, like trusting the process. And that's more from probably a parent um, point of view. But I suppose that also relates to coaches as well, doesn't it? Like we've got these processes in place for a reason. We've got to trust them. 100%. Yeah, 100%. You have to... As I said, you don't see the fruits of your labor uh, quickly. So you have to trust that the program you've put in place, the plan you've put in place is, is safe and safe and appropriate for that player at that time of their development, but also that it is going to take time. And you have to trust trust your experience and your instinct that well, yeah, you will benefit from following this program. And that's the big thing, yeah, with academy as well, is having the patience and also having the ability to, to connect with that young person and their parents, because the parents play a huge influence in their growth and maturation and their development, because um, they're the ones feeding them, they're the ones bringing them to training. You know, they're the ones who probably want them to develop quicker than they can develop, because sometimes they see, oh, he, he or she's going to be a professional footballer. Um, so it's having that patience and understanding with parents as well. And 
big thing for us at Arsenal was education of parents and having that really, really good relationship with the parents. So probably in my nine seasons, I would have sat in two, three hundred clear reviews uh, where the parent is sitting across from me and then just, you know, building that trust with them and them, them understanding and having the trust that you are there for the benefit of their, their, their young player, their young boy or girl, and that the process is... And the program is at a very high level. So they have to they have to trust that, but you have to trust that yourself first. Brilliant. And then just back onto the original question in terms of the, the skills required. If we're looking now more at a first team environment, do you think that's similar? How do they differ? Like what are some key skills you think going into that environment? Um, that's an interesting question because um, for me, if, if anyone, if, so when you look at LTAD, so long-term athletic development is often, you know, it straight away brands you with youth development for some reason. Whereas actually, if you look at the original models for Bally and Hamilton and a lot of those models, they talk about longevity of, of an athletic career across your time as a professional player or a professional athlete. So all players can develop. They can always develop a physical quality. Now, how they develop that is, is different as you get older, obviously. So if you're a seasoned international uh, England captain and you've played probably you know 200 games for Arsenal and 50 games for your country, your program is going to look different than the young player who's just come into the squad, who's played twice for his country and has played three, made three appearances in the Premier League. But for me, the biggest thing is adaptability um, as a coach at the top end, because you're adapting to fixtures, changes in fixtures, you're adapting to injuries, you're adapting to, you know, a, a player that's only with you for six months. Um, you don't have that longevity. So your processes have to be really tight and the skills you need there are, I think a, a real uh, detailed eye, real detailed coaching and real detailed eye on data, particularly monitoring and workload data that you're gathering because you're, you're dealing with the top end now. And even the slightest change for the wrong reason or right reason can lead to an injury or it can lead to you know, a lack of performance or a team not finishing strong in the last five minutes of the game. So that ability to adapt to different individuals because you, as I said, you might only have a player who's come from Spain who mightn't have... A formal training program like you guys are running suddenly now how do you get the most out of that player while not overloading that player or pushing a philosophy on them that doesn't suit their bodies at that period at period of time so adaptability and i think really acute detailed planning is, is, is essential at the top end and we spoke about in a few episodes before about development versus performance and going through that transition in terms of the um, importance because obviously at first team level we're it's about the performance and then academy more about development but there's definitely a crossover there as well isn't there it isn't just to switch one off switch the other on there's definitely a crossover in the preparation so what's your views on that and how does that affect your practice 100 percent there's a crossover um like part of your development is learning to perform <laughs> uh, and that's what you have to teach young players and young athletes is yeah, you're, you're thinking, uh, my job at the academy was to develop players for our first team. So we, we had a remit in the department, in the academy of one player every two years into the first team because the, the Arsenal model, they want to have a self-sustaining club where they're not relying on spending huge amounts of money on top players, but also they have that player that has got the Arsenal DNA in them. So that's long-term. So that in my brain, that, that focuses me differently. However, as that young player is growing, they, you Yes, if we don't win on a Saturday, you know, hopefully I won't get the sack if, if my under-16s or 17s or 18s don't win on a Saturday. However, 
part of that winning and part of like you know closing out a game is part of development so um the balance is hard to get uh, particularly if you've got and this again comes with education coaching staff and the other um multidisciplinary team around that player um they have to learn to perform even if they're doing a speed session you want them to race each other you want a maximum effort if they're in the gym you want them to try and lift heavier or safely lift heavier or quickly every day that they're performing so you do need to, we, we use the, tar, the term PUP, performance under pressure. So we do a lot of work on that with our psychologists in, in recent years on, you know, what, what is it to perform under pressure? Whether that's, you know, a young man who plays in front of his parents on a, on a Saturday in a normal setting on a league, but suddenly now we're in the Youth Cup and you're away to Colchester in their stadium and you've got 400 fans screaming at you who, you know, don't want you to win. So how do you deal with that? And that comes with challenging the players on and off the pitch. Uh, and it is, yes, performance is not the end goal of academy development, but it is important. Uh, they need to learn to perform. And then there's the other side of it, isn't there? In that first team environment, like you've already mentioned, that the development is still really important too, isn't it? Like you're not stopping the development by stepping into that first team level. No, and I've seen us. I've seen some top players at Arsenal who are first team season players. I've seen their speed scores going up. I've seen their jump scores going up. Uh, physical performance markers, you know, they can always always develop. Um, and that's our job, really, in the in the academy structure, is to give the players the tools, whether that's moving competencies or abilities, that when they get to a first team environment, they're ready to work. Um, they, you know, they have a full physical literacy, suitable for their development, suitable for their bodies, but but now they're ready to work, and um, that's been a real. Um, real pride of mine actually in my time at the academy is to see the players that we have in the first team now and that they transition smoothly into into the first team environment yes they won't be at the level straight away however they were coping with training they were performing in training when asked to and that was a real pride of mine to see that young player uh you know get an opportunity and, and cope physically and obviously then when they train regularly with the first team they, they get that development which is developing them to perform on Saturday. So it crosses over, yeah. Because that, that can be really tough sometimes, can't it? Because when you're in that academy setting, you see these players going through the age groups and you're confident on, right, they're getting the right support, they seem in the right place. And then obviously at first team level, it can either go one way or the other, can't it? Like you, you're just not really sure until they get to that level. So it is a really important thing, isn't it? So that's what's even more refreshing, I suppose, when... And we're going to hopefully reference a few of the players in, in shortly. But when you see some of these stories of these players doing so well. Yeah, it's, it's great to see. And obviously, the few that make it, the, the reason the rewards are so high in the Premier League financially or status-wise is because the demands are so high. And so few make it, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it gives me great pride to see those players that go into our first team. But also, I have a lot of pride in the, one, the ones who don't make it at Arsenal, but they make it at other clubs. Um, you know, I, I have one boy who was completely written off at under 18 level and now he's playing professionally or, you know earning a good living and, and enjoying playing football in the first division so you know it's it's this club isn't for everyone um and yeah. you know that that's often the case but to see them you know go on and have careers it, that's good as well it's, it's it's exciting to see and actually sometimes i have more pride in them the, i have more pride in some of the less talented ones who just had to fight and fight and fight and uh you know, to get a career and they've had a career. And uh, that's really exciting to see as well because there's teaching them how to perform and as they develop. So, 
And, and that's, again, just referencing what we were talking about before, isn't it? The performance, not just in terms of performance on the pitch, but everything you're training around that in terms of their mindset going into a monitoring session, a testing session, a gym session. <laughs> They're things that are going to carry on, aren't they, regardless of what level they play? Well, exactly. Uh, and that's what you're trying to do. Like, I, I see myself as more than a fitness coach, training edition coach. Like, you spend so much time with these young men that a lot of the time you're almost like a big brother or an uncle to some of them because, you know, you get to know them really well. You've seen them. Like, it was really interesting to, uh, it was actually really emotional when I, I said goodbye to the lads on the last day. I had six in that squad this season. I've had since they were 10. So it was lovely to see that, that these now have become professional players in the club. They've signed their first pro contracts. They're now going into the 23s, getting ready for hopefully a first team journey. Um, so yeah, you, you're, you're developing all their skills as you develop your own. And, and sometimes it mightn't be a gym exercise that makes them better. It might be you just saying, okay, you look really tired today. Let's back off you today and give you a rest because school is on top of you. Life is on top of you. You, you know, the demands of academy football are very high. Training demands are very high. Sometimes the best thing to do is take them out of it <laughs> and give them a little bit of time off. So that's... Uh, that's a real, and again, that's another skill for academy conditioning coach where, you know, some days you don't chase numbers. So um, it's, it's having that experience and that eye to know when to chase it and when not to chase it is, is key as well. I wanted to get your perspective on um, managing individuals because, again, it's something we reference quite a lot. And obviously something you've talked about there with the number of players that are hopefully going to be coming through the system. But obviously we're talking about all individuals, talking about individual personalities, individual talent, strengths, weaknesses, and all the rest of it. What are some of your takeaways you think from the time with the Academy on managing each individual and getting, making sure that they get the most out of the process? Um, I suppose the first, the first thing to have, I suppose, is a good toolbox of, of information in your, in your programming. So have a wide variety of exercises. Um, I probably made a mistake early on in my career that, you know, I came from a weightlifting background, a powerlifting background. And I felt like everyone needs to squat. Everyone needs to clean. Everyone needs to snatch. And I probably didn't take enough time or, or to look at it and go, hold on, you know, somebody's, some, some structures aren't built for a back squat. Some structures aren't built for a front squat, etc. So having that broad range of um, try and give the players as much physical tools as you can and as much as many movement patterns as you can but you the big thing for me with the program is knowing when to load and not load so for instance if, if they're struggling with lower body mobility stability as they grow well just back off on the load there concentrate more on stability mobility um you know unilateral exercises instead of bilateral exercises so that you're giving them new skills to try and you know um control this new movement that they can't do or they can or give them new skills to control this extra weight they've put on um, as they grow so um that's a big thing for me is, is having the ability to progress and regress your exercises having a broad range of exercises uh, and my program would be general in the nutshell of um you know the structure of how it's laid out however the individual differences are the loading patterns and the exercise selection um some some uh, some of my athletes, the majority of my athletes are African Caribbean descent. So um, some of them have short torsos, long femurs. As I said, they're not built for back squat. Some are, some can do it. But okay, what am I going to get from this? Well, what's what I'm looking trying to achieve? I'm trying to develop lower body power, lower body strength, upper body power, upper body strength. So then selecting the right exercise for them, and appropriately loading them is is key. And judging that load comes from no, not reps in reserve with a gym aware or calculated 3rm comes from your coaching eye every day um 
where you're going, okay, you can push it on a little bit today. How are you feeling? Feel good. Yeah, well, I've asked you to do five reps of this. Now let's, let's, let's add five kilos because that looks like it's moving really well. Or you look tired today. Let's back off that. So it's constant micromanagement of their, their training loads. Um, the general pitch-based fitness and speed stuff, obviously that's planned and periodized with the coaches. But again, knowing the individual on the day as well, and based on how they monitor it or based on how they're feeling. Um, and often that's a conversation. It might not often be formal monitoring or, or planning. But, you know, backing off on their training loads, because um, I still have it with some of my 18s, Ben. Some of their knees are sore, but they're still growing. Okay, I, I can't chase too much high-speed running today. Or accelerations, decelerations in a small set of game is going to flare this up. You know, he's going to be off the pitch sore for a couple of days. How about we just back off on him a little bit? He, he comes out of that part of the program, but, you know, he can do the rest of the exercises in the rest of the session. So it's having those conversations with the, with the coaches and the technical staff and, and having the education and I think respect for each other that you can have those conversations because a lot of coaches want to win on Saturday at every age group. And, you know, we, we have to have an agreed approach that it's a longer term project here. Is it better that Ben is, you know, off for six days and he misses the game on Saturday or let's manage his training now, keep him on the grass where he's happy and just let's manage that training load. So management and, and planning of training load is vital. And often that can be daily. It can be a daily conversation. It doesn't have to be, you know, planned weeks in advance. It's often day to day reactive to how that boy is feeling on the day because muscle bone and connective tissue of a growing athlete are very unpredictable. Um, they might've been fine yesterday and they come in sore today because they're growing. So that for me is the key, the key, key thing is conversations and, and uh, challenging of each other in an MDT. I suppose on that as well, you've talked about developing the toolbox for a player or an athlete, but that's also where we tap into the toolbox of the coach as well, isn't it? Not only recognizing the fact that something needs adapting or changing, but then, like you referenced, having the powerlifting and weightlifting background and not having that rigid program where it suits everyone, but knowing when to use it at the right time. And that's where it's important for the coach to develop that toolbox, isn't it? So any young coach is listening, that's where it's really important to have that real adaptability in your programming that it can be switched on on the fly, isn't it? Absolutely. And um, it's a question I often get asked, like, what's my philosophy, you know, and uh, young coaches will ask me that. Coaches that I mentor, you know, how do I develop my philosophy? I was like, your philosophy can, your your philosophy will change. The principles of what you do are underpinned by science and underpinned by your, your underpinned by your education. However, a lot of the methods and the, the philosophy is underpinned with your experience. And I've made a huge amount of mistakes growing up uh, in my career, where, you know, I taught a one size fits all program where for power will work there, for speed will work there. It's that's not the case. Um, particularly when you're dealing with large groups, it has to be very, very, uh, you have to be very adaptable in, in how you plan and program. And that comes with experience, but also I, I'm not one to jump on what I have learned, what I have learned in 20 years uh, working at, with some of the best coaches, with some of the best athletes is the basics have to be right. That never changes. Uh, I see a lot of young coaches now and, and I hear conversations around my own environment and through my work with the UKSCA and stuff that like I speak to a lot of coaches and they're, they're hanging on the next method they're looking at the next method that's come out, philosophy-based training or triphasic training or uh, isometrics is the big one at the moment. Um, I know a particular individual who does nothing but isometrics in the program. So, you know, we're, we're limiting ourselves to methods there and your program shouldn't be based on methods. It should be based on um, sound principles and understanding of what that player needs and what tools do, does that fit him best or fit her best. And that's a mistake I see a lot of young coaches making. Um, 
you know, the, la the latest paper comes out, oh, Paddy, we need to be doing more isometrics. We're not doing enough isometrics. Well, well why? Tell me why. Uh, you know, don't chase a thing for me is a very important. Uh, I see it again. I'm, I'm ranting now. Sorry. I see it again with, you know, early career physiotherapists, early career practitioners um, in strength and conditioning that, you know, we want to minimize hamstring injuries this year. Yes, we want to do that. So let's chase isometrics. Let's chase distal, chase distal proxal loading on that hamstring. And well, first of all, if, have we hamstring problems? Then let's see how we fix it before you go chasing something that may be not a problem. Uh, and I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen a few times in different environments where they've chased something and it's become a problem because they've overloaded an area that wasn't a problem. <laughs> so it's... Um, or, you know, we got two hamstrings this year. It's a spike in hamstrings. Okay, well, the whole squad don't need to do hamstring prevention. Maybe it's, you know, let's assess the players and see who's weak, who's dysfunctional, who's maybe asymmetrical. So just a little bit of tidbits of advice there. Get the basics right. Have a very balanced program. And then the methods, you have to have different methods because you need variety as well. I think a big thing for me with programming is variety for the young player. You need consistent exercises in there that, you know, if you want to get better, at split leg squats, you have to do split leg squats. However, along the way, when you've had a player for 47 weeks, a bit of variety, a bit of fun trying in there is so important. Uh, not being regimented into your program that I have to do my job now or my boss is going to go, he's not developing the players. No, sometimes I have freestyle sessions a lot. And if you look in, it looks lazy. You know, on a Monday after a load of, load of games, you know, 25 weeks, 30 weeks into the season, I go, okay, boys, you freestyle your upper body session today. Uh, you, you know, you know, I've given you sessions for 25 weeks. Let me see what you want to do yourself now and give them a little bit of autonomy and guided learning. So it looks lazy. It probably looks unstructured. Um, I know sometimes certainly the technical coaches don't like it because they haven't got their formal plan going through their exercises, but you give them a little bit of understanding. And before you know it, actually, they end up putting together decent sessions. <laughs> so we forget these young athletes are sponges and they, they, they hang on a lot of what you say sometimes when you don't even realize it. So. I can't remember the quote, but there's one in there somewhere about um, learning a topic. The best way to do it is to obviously teach it back to someone, isn't it? And that's exactly what you're doing now with the athletes, isn't it? It's a little test for them. It's it's seeing what's been absorbed, seeing what's been learned, and then getting them to apply it to themselves. There's no better way of learning, to be honest, is there? There's not. And again, it, that's, that's having, I suppose, the confidence in your processes that you can do that. Um, as I said, it doesn't look, all, doesn't look very professional sometimes. I, I've often done... I've often gone out to a pitch and I've gone, okay, who's the captain last Saturday? You're the captain last Saturday. Okay, you're taking the warm-up today. Set it up. I'll give you 10 minutes. You take my physical warm-up that we normally do. And before you know it, they're actually giving you back a lot of what you've given them when you don't think they're listening sometimes or you think they're just going through the motions. But from a coaching perspective, it probably looks like, oh, Paudy's taking the foot off the gas here. He's, okay, he's on a download week. But no, it's actually sometimes you, you're – you're dictating the program to them for so long. Like, as I said, if I, I've had some players for nine years in the nine years, 47 weeks a year, I think it's about 180 warm ups a year. I do. Um, like, sometimes along the way, you just need to trust your process, step back, and let them do it. Um, and it's been, I've got some really, I've seen some really interesting exercises and warm ups being done in that respect. Uh, but never, never a problem. No one gets injured. It's, it's always guided, guided learning. I mean, there's only so many exercises that we're going to fit in in that time, isn't there? So it's yeah. it's basically just reassuring a lot of things that you've been over time and time again, isn't it? Um, Paulie, I wanted to just get your views on and your experiences really on a, on a few players that are obviously 
coming to the limelight recently, your Sackers and Smith Rose that have ended up in the Arsenal first team. That's just probably just to name a couple that, that there's been a lot along the way. In terms of that process, what what was your experience working with them through those age groups? Like, was it something where, like we talked about before, you could predict that they're going to go on, they're going to be first team players? I can see it because I can see this, that, and the other. Or was it a case of you, like you said, trusting the process? And yes, they are talented, but it could go one way or the other. Like, what what was your experiences? Well, that's um, first of all, they're two great names to bring up, and I feel blessed that I've had the opportunity to work with those boys and. Um, I consider myself very close to them and I'm proud to see where they are now because they're not only were they good players and good athletes, they're two, one, I'm not just saying that, two wonderful young men. Um, I'm not sure if you ever see any of them interviewed after games and very humble. Um, I would say Smith Rowe in particular is actually quite shy. He still is quite shy and reserved. Um, of course, early on, you could see they were good players. Um, to say they stood out would be, you know, maybe an overstatement because they were in a very good group of very good players as they grew up but they were always good players they looked like good players now no one has a crystal ball and no one can say it's easy for me to turn around and say oh yeah I knew when he was 10 he was going to make it no one can tell you that because I've seen so many quality players come through the system and fall out of the system whether that's lack of opportunity lack of drive um, injuries etc so to say they were going to make it and I knew they were going to make it that would be telling a lie um they were very good players. They were always good athletes. Um, they were as a, quite reserved, actually. They just cracked on and done their work. They were always good to have in the programme. Um, as I said, Emil was quite shy. Bakayo was quite quiet. Um, but actually, what I loved about them as young players, as they were growing up, they love running. They love running with the ball. They're very positive players. You can see that in their, in their style now. They just want to go forward with the ball. Um, you know, and they can play in any position. And early on, that was the case. They played in all the positions. And, um, you know, it was exciting to see them grow up and to become the players they are. And, and people forget, don't people that have followed Bakayo in particular, he didn't play a lot of under-18 football. Like, he, he wasn't starting Youth Cup games. He wasn't... And on, But I, we do remember him, Liverpool away. Uh, we're, you know, we're 2-1 down in the Youth Cup. And uh, Stevie Jarrod was taking him and taking Liverpool at the time. And Bakayo came on and won us the game. Like, and he didn't start that game. Same in Dallas. We played Man United in the Dallas Cup in um, four, five years ago, and it was a semi-final of the tournament. And we're two 0 down, and we brought Bakayo on, um, you know, because we needed legs, and he won us the game. <laughs> well, he drew the game. We won on penalties, but like he, when he got his opportunities, he took them, and so did Emil. And Emil is wonderful to watch. Emil played a lot of the U Cup that year. Actually, was involved with the first team quite a bit, training wise. And yeah, they, I think what's happened, they've been successful. One, because they've been talented. Two, they're very good athletes. And in today's game, Premier League is a running game. And the two of them can run. But more than that, they, they work hard. They sincerely work really hard. And, you know, they're diligent, they're respectful, um, and very humble humble boys. And it's, it's no shock that they're, when they've got their opportunity, that they have been successful. It's, that's no shock. Did I know they'd make it at 10, 11, 12? You would think they would, but you don't know uh, at, at that age. Um, so we have to be very careful when we're, when we're making those 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 calls. But yeah, it was a pleasure working with them. They were incredible to see. And now we've got Eddie Nketi in there, Florin Balogun again, two good athletes. Like uh, they followed a program of mine through my time from nines to twenty trees. But I can't ever claim that I made a Smith Roar a Kyosaka. The genetics and the the qualities their parents gave them um, uh, 
that's the key to their development, really. They're very humble uh, parents. And Pacquiao's parents in particular said, you know, if he's good enough, we want to we want to stay at the club, we want to trust the club when you know loads of clubs are throwing money at him as a young player. No, we enjoy it here, he enjoys the process here, he enjoys the program here. Um if he's good enough and he makes it at Arsenal, then you know the rewards will come. And um yeah, incredible to see them uh, where they're at now and hopefully they have very, very bright careers ahead. Huge thank you to everyone that made it out to our last networking event down at Go Perform in Reading. Wow, what a facility. Amazing setup they've got down there. And we had two brilliant presentations. Oliver Harrington, the first team sports scientist at Reading, delivered his presentation, Sleeping on the Job. He, he's done research on um, the effect of napping on CMJ. So he delivered his research and also went into some of the um, research that's out there around napping which is really, really interesting and really quite early on in, in that research as well. So a big thanks to Oliver. And also Callum Stratford, Academy Sports Scientist at Reading. He delivered his presentation, Jump Training in Football. Both of those presentations are now available to watch in full online on our online community. So if you remember, log in. There's the Network Meetings presentation tab. If you click on there, you can get access to both of the presentations. If you're not already a member... The good news is if you go to footballfitfed.com, click on the community tab, sign up there and it'll give you a free month. After your free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. So you can go and check out their presentations and there's plenty of us on there as well and loads of great webinars. So make sure you go and check out all the content that's available by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab and signing up there. Let's get back into the podcast with Paddy into part two. He's going to continue talking about the, the development of Saka and Emil Smith Rowe. So really great stuff to come in part two. Um, you knowing their strengths at a young age, Paddy, as well. So seeing them play and understanding like what their real strengths are as a player. How much does that affect your the way you speak to them, like the language you use around training, and then also um, how you adapt their training as well? Because there's going to be obviously strengths, but there's also going to be things that need to be worked on. And how does that then adapt, or, or how does that affect even your approach that you take individually with each each player like that? So the big thing for the players at them growing up is it was clear visibly that they had strength, power, speed. Uh, you want to enhance that. You want to make that a super strength. Um, so we always do, from 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 9 to 23s, we do benchmark testing for the Premier League. So we have all that information. So you know where they are in a strength, power, speed scenario, uh, formally and informally, because you're getting it through your GPS monitoring or you're getting it through your workload monitoring. But with them, um, you have to trust the process and you, you have to be careful with young players like that. So... Uh, if you look at Bakayo running, Bakayo is very backside dominant mechanics. He, he it, it doesn't look clean sometimes when he runs. However, he's very efficient, very powerful. Am I going to change his mechanics too much and try and get that second quicker? Or am I going to let him progress through our speed exercises, get a bit better and see how he moves? Um, and as it turns out, you know, I didn't try and change too much in the running mechanics side of thing. We just give him a little taste of running activities. Um, but we do maintain their speed and develop their speed by constantly having speed sessions and racing young players. Young players love to race at every age. Um, so that's very important that you challenge that. Um, with Bukai and Emil, I was always asking, can you get a little bit more? Um, Emil, as a, as a boy growing up, was quite slight. Um, 
you know, wasn't into heavy gym that much. Uh, not that we were pushing heavy gym, but gradually, we, you know, we got through the exercise and understood the program and trusted the program. And my challenge to, to both of them, as it is with every player, was, you know, can you get a little bit better every week? You know, are you enjoying the exercises? That's a big thing we forget as practitioners. Sometimes you have to ask the players, do you like doing this exercise? Yes or no? And it's like medicine, isn't it? It's like, it's like sometimes you have to take something you don't want to because you know it's good for you. However, there has to be a little bit of buy-in as well or else the, the program gets lost. So from that standpoint, he was just finding out what their strengths are, trying to bring up their weaknesses. Um, as Emil grew, he was getting quite stiff. Hamstrings, calves were quite... So he'd done a lot of mobility. Uh, Bukayo didn't have any major growing problems. But you know, then you have to be careful because your talented players then are playing up age groups. They're playing for England every opportunity there, there. And that was what was lovely about Emil and Bacall as well. They just wanted to play football. I remember them as under 18s. If we'd asked Emil to go and play 16s, he would. He, like, they just want to play football. Um, with that, then you need to be careful that you're not overworking them and that the demands are not too high. So, you know, give them the opportunity to play up when they can um, so that they can get stretched. It's about stretching the players physically and technically who are good, but also protecting them that you're not overstretching them. And that's a real balancing act. Brilliant. I want to look forward, Paddy, now as well, because going into um, the role with Arsenal women, um, first-team environment. So looking ahead into this role, what's your mindset going in, in terms of the approach that you're going to take? So um, when I was approached to come in, um, it was probably this time last season it started. And the, the, the women's uh, game has always fascinated me because in the nine years I've been at Arsenal, I've seen it grow at our club, but also across the league. And our women's team is probably, I think they're full-time five years. So quite, quite young in structure, uh, quite early in structure. Um, now, we're, now I'm walking into a Champions League environment, which is exciting, where now you're looking at performance. But the... the conversations I've had with the, the, my employers that is that, you know, they want development as well. Um, and we're going to be looking right down towards the academy structure as well, because the, the gap is getting higher, not only in the women's super league now, but it's getting higher within the club for academy girls to step into the first team. So it's really, my first job will be to maximize performance. Uh, let's look at our injury history. Let's look at our availability. How can we make it better? Um, but that, with that, my mindset is that I have to trust my process, that the experience I have from the academy development side of things can be dropped in to a structure where, you know, we do need to win on Saturday now. Or at 25 weeks in, we need availability because we've got three games on the bounce in the week. So it's a um, different mindset. But at the forefront of this is development because uh, we spoke about it very early on, long-term athletic development. That encompasses the development of a player to the end of their career. So... We can always chase development and looking in a lot of the, the women in the team might not have a formalized strength and conditioning program for very long. If they're new to the club or they've just joined the club or because of the nature of the game growing. Um, so it'll be very interesting to, you know, get some nuts and bolts, solid basic skills in there. And uh, I'm sure that will push on performance anyway. But again, now we're at the top end. So my mindset will be really based on acute monitoring of the workloads and how we get those workloads in there while getting development and maximizing performance. So that, that acute eye on detail that I spoke about earlier on is, is going to have to come to the forefront. 
Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because like you said, with teams like that, that are maybe five years into a, a full-time programme and, and looking over at the men's game as well, even the even the teams that have had sports science programmes in for the longest time that we know of, it's still not that long, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it's still, it's still that development has to be the focus, doesn't it? Even at the first team level, because there's, there's, there's still a lot of things to work on. 100%. And that's... Um... You know, already I can see bits and pieces that the women need to do. Um, they've got two great practitioners working with them already, Fran and Owen. And um, but what they, you know, they they need just uh, I think a bit a bit of a sounding board. And my experience is, uh, you know, I'm at this 20 years now and made lots of mistakes. And I think I learned a huge deal from them because they put together a very good program for these women. But it's just probably fine tuning in a little bit now and making sure that, you know, how can I add, uh, you know, a different set of eyes on 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 how they look, how they move, how they, you know, how they change direction, et cetera. And is there something that I can help see that they might not see um, because they're in the program for so long, but um, yeah, really exciting to see the development. Uh, I'm sure that getting my basics right and making tidying up a few uh, structural things will really, really help their performance this season. So it's uh, yeah, exciting to be part of that and asked to, it's exciting as a practitioner to be asked to come on board from such a, prestigious team and club because um a lot of uh, we spoke about it earlier a lot of um coaches in academy or in the women's game see it as kind of a, a, a platform to launch into the men's game uh, first team men's game but actually um i think my my skill set suits academy and suits the women's game better because um you know i'd be hopefully have a bit of longevity there and there's some very interesting athletes there that just need some fine tuning so yeah really really exciting yeah, it's interesting you say about the load monitoring as well, because obviously at first team level, we're looking at schedules, aren't we? We're looking at fixtures and the importance of those fixtures as well. And I mean, it's only today they've released the Premier League fixtures and some of the schedules look pretty brutal. So a lot of the um, a lot of practitioners out there, that has to be the priority initially, doesn't it? And then everything else can follow. Big thing, big thing is availability. Um you know, if, if a girl, if the, if the girl isn't on the pitch, she's not happy, the coach is not happy. So um, for me, that falls in with the academy as well. And this is what I speak to the academy coaches a lot about this, the, the technical coaches. Um, we want players on the grass. My job is to, and my job is to cr- create better physical qualities in that player. But they're a football player. <laughs> they need to be on the grass. If they're not on the grass, you've got a very unhappy person, uh, yeah. coach and staff member, um, you know, and player. So my goal is availability and whatever that takes, that might be developing strength and power in this athlete, or it might be like, if you've got a, so we've got some of the best, best players in Europe in that team where you've got huge experience and it might be just managing another player's load where she stays fresh and available. So it's that real micromanagement of acute training variables uh, is going to be key. Yeah. But keeping them on the grass, that's the 100% uh, priority. Because if they're not on the grass, they can't perform. Yeah, brilliant. Paulie, this has been superb. I want to I just move on to some of the quick-fire questions that we wrap the podcast yes. up with. Um, first of all, being who were some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Uh, well, I've been, I've been blessed to be around so many good practitioners, and I think the people I work with every day, uh, are my real influences obviously Liam Hennessy my mentor and friend for a long long time he was my uh, boss at Irish Rugby Des Ryan was my manager and coach developer at Irish Rugby and then my uh, line manager and friend and boss at, at Arsenal and uh, 
uh, learned so much from those two about not only strength and conditioning. If anyone gets a chance to chat to Liam Hennessy or Des, they can talk for hours on the holistic development of a player or a, an athlete or things in sport. And um, I've got, um, you know, I've been very lucky through my master's degree, my UKSA work, working with Ian Jeffries, learning from Dr. Greg Half, Sophia Nymphus, um, you know, Jonas Dodu from Speed. I, I absorb information from everyone. Um, periodization, Bumper, never met him, but yeah, <laughs> it's, um, you know, there's so many influences. Uh, my early days in Munster Rugby, Aidan O'Connell, Fer- Fergal O'Callaghan, Mark Manis, like Tom Cummins, who was an international runner at the time. I spent a lot of good time with a lot of people. And through my own training, um, I've worked with a lot of good coaches. Kevin Geary, who's now at Bristol Bears, he heads up the program there. Andy Murphy, who heads up the program at Connacht with the Academy. I've just been around really quality people. And um, yeah, just it's not name dropping there. I'm just so many people to be thankful for. Um, going into the women's game now, I'm, I'm delighted that I've got become very good friends with Ivy Casagrande and, and uh, Erica Souser in the States and um, Lizzie Fluke, who works at the London Lionesses there. I'm learning so much from them about the, the women's game and women athlete, athletes. And so, yeah, I've. I've um, been blessed really it's it's hard to pinpoint any one or two people but yeah been very very lucky uh, and i think you know the, the people you work with day to day is 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 the key one there and I've, i'm surrounded by some very good practitioners so yeah i think the takeaway message from that is getting around those those brilliant people brilliant minds and names isn't it and and that is only going to be a positive for you as a practitioner isn't it some brilliant brilliant people in there um but the next one I always ask is, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Uh, adaptability. Adaptability. Um, being able to change for a situation instantly. Uh, excuse me. <coughs> Whether that's um, this speed drill just isn't working. It's just not, the boys are not, they're not on this today. Can I move a corner or a pole or change the variables here to get a little bit more out of it? Um, you know, that boy, that girl isn't looking right today. Uh, you know, let's back off on him today or, you know, let's push him today. Um, let's come off the plan. <laughs> I think that's my biggest strength. Uh, my interpersonal skills maybe is probably people, people that know me best would probably say that, that I, um, you know, they say you remember great coaches, not from what they'd done for you, but how you made them feel. And I think anyone that works with me, uh, a player or staff, like I, I, I exude energy and, uh, warmth around my program uh, I want it to be fun yeah you're going to work hard when you're with me but it has to be fun it has to be engaging um, sometimes I'll have crosswords with you <laughs> but it's always from a good place and, I, and I've often told the players I work with that if I'm not shouting at you I've given up on you <laughs> um, and I haven't given up on too many um, <laughs> yeah patience I have a lot of patience uh, for development and for Trusting the process. Yeah. Adaptability and patience and interpersonal skills are huge for me. Um, I don't care how good your program is if you can't deliver it, uh, you know, or if it can't be adapted, then it's not worth the paper it's written on. So, Brilliant. A new one we've added in recently, which I think has gone down okay so far, is what going back a few years now when you're first starting out before Arsenal, what would be your advice to Pody back then? Um... Enjoy the process more. Um, I got hung up on making sure my programs are perfect, making sure I, I was learning every day, which isn't a bad thing, but it, there was times when maybe um, 
maybe I expected too much from those around me as well sometimes where I was like, come on, we're training hard today. Let's everyone take this seriously. Um, and that softened a lot. That softened a lot that you have to trust that. Uh, I suppose trust myself. I would have said to myself, trust the process. Trust you know what you're doing. Um, you've got a great relationship with your players. The program is working. Trust it. Um, I, there was a lot of self-doubt when I was a younger coach and, um, you know, I put a lot of time into my programming, making sure it was perfect. And often I probably got more results from doing less and doing it better. So, um, yeah, I would have trust myself and enjoy it. And I'll say that to young coaches now. Um, actually, I spoke to Kevin Geary about this when, uh, as, as we worked together and grew up together in our careers. And I often asked him, Did he, are you enjoying the process? As he was climbing the ladder from first team rugby to international rugby to now head of a department, he goes, yeah, he did. He does enjoy it. Yeah, you have to enjoy it um, because you put so much time and effort into your career. You have to enjoy it. And don't be in a hurry. I think we're all in a hurry. Um, I get asked every day now, Paulie, you know, what qualification did you do to work at Arsenal? What qualification did you do to work at uh, Irish Rugby? I didn't. I, got, I had an opportunity. I was given an opportunity. But when I had the opportunity, I was ready. So people will often say I was lucky. Um, I think the harder the work, the harder I worked, and the more I trusted myself, the luckier I got. <laughs> so when an opportunity comes up, be ready. And it's not often a qualification. It's experience and knowing that you've made mistakes. Um, I made a lot of mistakes, learned from the mistakes, and I was humble enough to realize that I made mistakes. Um, you can't be pig-headed in this industry. You have to be able to change and adapt. So, yeah, I hope that helps early, young coaches out there or early career coaches. Brilliant. And then just final one. I always ask about your approach to CPD, continue learning. Like, how do you go about continually improving as a practitioner now? Um, a lot of my CPD in recent years would have been obviously through my work with the UKSCA. And um, I found that I, I went on, I applied to be on the board of directors two years ago. And I'm coming to the end of my two years. But on there, I've met some brilliant people. Uh, that's been my CPD for the last two years. Um, Steve Barrett from Playmaker, they're one of the smartest people I know. Andy Boyd, who our chairman is, Scottish Rugby, uh, Kevin Paxton's under, Dan Clether, like uh, obviously Chris Bishop, Rich Clark have just, uh, you know, left. Um, Rich Honnix is under. Like we are surrounded in board meetings, I'm surrounded with amazing people who are all different. And this is the thing with CPD is I approach things, I suppose early on my CPD would have been get, understand speed better, understand power better, understand monitoring better. Actually, when I came into the academy, it was understanding movement better. That was my real, because I was a strength, power, speed guy from obviously rugby. And you want me to get, I, I was very good at getting someone big and strong. But now, hold on a minute, they don't need to be big and strong. They need to be strong, quick, and able to move. And they're growing rapidly. Yeah. <laughs> so they were, they were, that's how I approached my CPD then, understand movement, competency, function. In recent years, I'm surrounding myself. My CPD is sharing ideas and bouncing ideas off really good people whether that's in my office with Tony Strudwick and Dominic May or Ian Jones or Nav Singh, any of the people I work with, or it's day-to-day -day with old colleagues like Noel Carroll, for instance, a guy I worked with, he's now working in Formula 1 and just chatting to him about the, the performance levels there and things. That's my CPD now. My CPD is learning from the best practitioners I can, whether that, and that might be a casual conversation. Formal CPD, yeah, I like to attend conferences when you can, et cetera, and learn from everyone, but I, I'm more interested in now talking to people with experience and Teach well, and that doesn't matter if it's good experience or bad experience. You could be a young practitioner, and have had great ideas. Let's chat. So that's how I approach it now. I'm surrounding myself. I feel I'm surrounding myself with really interesting people. 
Um, for instance, this year I want to learn a language. Um, we have so many foreign players in our club and we all expect them to speak English. And I'm going, yeah. okay, wouldn't it be really nice to be able to say hello, good morning in French, Spanish, Portuguese, Romanian. We've, um, you know, and it means so much to those players. I know when I've tried to speak to players, I say hello. Um, you know, we've got two Muslim players at the moment being able to speak a little bit of their language. And, you know, I think it's really engaging. It shows that you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. So I've gone on a rant there about CPD. For CPD for me at the moment is challenging myself and getting outside my comfort zone. And it might not be an SNC topic. We're asking our players and the staff we work with every day to step outside their comfort zone. So we must do the same. So watch this space. I hopefully will be fluent in French and Spanish by <laughs> season 2023. Um, oh, and, I was just yeah. about to ask, Paulie, I was going to say, which yeah. one are you going to go for? But you've just committed there, French and Spanish. French and Spanish. French, <laughs> French initially, because I'm actually trying to buy a little house in, in, in France. Nice. Um, you know, it's just, I think it's very important to be able to think outside the box. Um, I'm embarrassed I can't speak barely speak English so um yeah that's my CPD for the coming year and obviously understanding the female athlete that's that's obviously on the forefront of uh as I keep saying it's the same game but slightly different physiology um uh which is going to be really interesting really exciting brilliant this was absolutely superb mate really really appreciate you doing it um just wrap us up with where would you send people just to keep an eye on what you've got going on uh Twitter um is probably where I kind of post or repost stuff um all my own views of course I don't really I'm not on Instagram or Facebook um you'll find me at coach underscore roach underscore on Twitter uh reach out there I, I usually just share stuff that's of interest really um yeah and uh, thanks for having me on and thanks to the listeners for tuning in uh, I know I was ranting a little bit there but I'm um, really really excited to, to chat to anyone who wants to talk anything performance strength and conditioning development Brilliant, mate. Well, thank you very much for your time and all the best going into next season as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, if you're anything like me, again, you're going to have a page full of notes from that podcast because there's so many takeaways when speaking to people like Pody and some of the guests we've had recently. You have to sort of slow it down and listen back to what they're saying because they've got so many great stories, so much great experience and knowledge that you can take loads away from it. Um, I always really struggle to narrow it down to just a few takeaways, to be honest, but I'll try my best in this one. The, the first is patience, and not only patience as a coach, but also patience in terms of the process. We refer to parents, if there are any parents listening. Um, I am a parent. Probably the, we are the most impatient people around when it comes to our own kids, aren't we? So um, there's definitely lessons to be learned in there, but also as coaches, Trusting that process, staying patient and just doing the right things on a daily basis, I think will get us where we, where we want to be. And it, obviously he gave some great examples with the two guys at Arsenal um, that are obviously involved in the first team and, and playing for England and that now as well. So some really good case studies there. Um, the skill of adaptability in the first team environment is something we've talked about before, but I don't think it can be talked about enough. It's fine having the knowledge, but can you adapt under pressure at the flick of a switch? Because that's what happens in football. And to be honest, a lot would say that that's what happens throughout the ages at football as well. Um, everyone's probably got scenarios of where they had a plan. It had to be changed last minute for whatever reason. And it's your, your skill as a coach 
um, to sort of adapt on the fly, but also keep the quality at what you're delivering at the same time. And then just trusting that process. It's something that I know we spoke about in with players, but I also think in terms of career as well, like some people are in a rush to get to that first team level that they see as being the top. But can we take as much as possible from every opportunity that we get? Trust in that process and whether it is a first team you want to end up in or whether it is a lead academy or whatever it is, can we, can we take as much as we can along the way? And that's what's going to make us the very best coach we can possibly be then as well. So, Pordy, thank you very much for coming on. It was great to speak. I could have spoke all day and I really appreciate him giving up the time and coming on the podcast. Go and give him a follow over on Twitter, coach underscore rush underscore. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 194.